Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. For this episode, I'm continuing to read from my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. Now, the reason why I'm doing this is pretty straightforward. I'm promoting my book. I mean, I'll be very obvious about that. But hey, I'm doing it for free on a podcast, so you can listen to the book, and you can hear, more importantly, what I'm also trying to do is provide some commentary about why I included certain things in it so you know it's important for designing your exercise program. As somebody who's been teaching and certifying personal trainers for 20 years, I know what it takes to be a good fitness professional. Now, whether or not you have a desire to be a personal trainer or fitness instructor yourself, that's for you to decide. But if you listen to All About Fitness, if you listen to the show on a regular basis, if you're into fitness, if you're into working out, I want you to know how to do things based on the evidence that science provides. Now look, you hear, if you listen all about fitness, you hear my guests all the time talk about they're not sure evidence indicates that's because the scientific process doesn't really know for sure. The scientific process is all about observing. What exercise scientists do when an exercise scientist conducts a study or a team of exercise scientists conduct a study, what they're doing is they're studying a set of variables and how those variables impact the human body. It could be one workout, it could be a series of workouts, but that's all they're doing is they're collecting information. And in many of these study groups, you have very finite, very small groups of people. N, when you read a study, N is a population size. Now, many of the studies that are published have very small population samples. So it's not really, these studies, they provide some insight, but there's nothing definitive. You hear from guests on the show all the time with PhDs, people who spend their careers researching the human body. Or more importantly, these are, these are experts who spend their careers researching the effects of exercise on the human body. And none of them on my show, from Dr. Schoenfeld, Dr. McGill, any of the doctors and PhDs I talk to are very reticent to provide any specific information because they don't know. It's based on observation. Now, the reason why I say that is I in no way, shape, or form am pretending that the information on this podcast or in my book is definitive. It's not. There could be other information out there that's a little bit contrary to it, but I would hope that that information is based on observed science and based on the scientific method. My career has been understanding the research, reading and diving into the research, understanding the research, and then using that information to develop educational content for personal trainers and fitness professionals. That's what I do. I understand the research, I dial in, and then I say, okay, this is what they're saying, and here's how we apply it as a personal trainer or group fitness instructor. That may not sound like an exciting career, but you know, I've been making a living for a number of years wearing sweats and t-shirts and everything else. Actually, it's really what is washed up personal trainers do. I either could have gone the fitness manager route or I could have gone this route and I went the education route. The reason why I say that though is I want you to understand. I may be quoted in in a number of media publications as an expert. I, I have had the opportunity to travel around the world. I was recently speaking at a personal trainer conference in Sao Paulo, Brazil, representing Nautilus and Stairmaster. So I'm still doing that on the side a little bit. So I'm still doing the the international education. I'm still doing that to a degree But really, my primary job right now is running the personal training program, well, helping to run the personal training program. I do it via education. My other team, the other parts of my team do it via operations. 
But what we're trying to do is provide educated personal trainers for our health clubs so that you as a consumer get a great product or a great service. Now, the reason why I do this podcast is because I want you to be an educated consumer and I want you to understand what's happening in your body with exercise. That's why I'm reading from my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. Simply put, I view this podcast as free education for you that you can take and apply to your own workouts. Now, you might hear something I say and go, oh, I do something different. I learned this or I was taught this and go with it. If it works for you, go for it. All I'm trying to do in Smarter Workouts is take the research I've been doing for years or the research I've been reading for years. I don't conduct the research. I read and review the research and apply it to the fitness industry. And that's what I'm doing. So what we're in right now is we're in chapter two. Chapter two is movement and intensity and practice. Now I'm sitting at my desk, I'm reading this to you. So part of this too is I want to provide some insight about why I included certain things. So movement, intensity, and practice. In this chapter, I'm breaking down the different components of fitness. We just talked about mobility training, and now I'm going to go into core strength training. So here we are. This is page 31, chapter 2, movement and intensity and practice of Smarter Workouts, the Science of Exercise Made Simple. Core strength training. Core training is paradoxically one of the most popular yet misunderstood phrases in the fitness world today. For some, core training means doing crunches until the abs cramp in exhaustion. For others, core training means doing all sorts of complicated moves on various pieces of equipment that look better suited for a circus than a fitness facility. It can seem as if every fitness instructor or YouTube star has a different approach to core training, some derived from academic research and others based on pure fiction or opinion. That's why I started with that longer intro. This is me providing a little bit of commentary is I want you to understand that, that everything in this book is based on evidentiary research. I apply some of my own opinion, but those are more in the sidebars based on my years of experience as a personal trainer and working in fitness. With all this information, it can be difficult to determine the most effective core training program for your needs. If you really want muscle definition so you can show off your abs and play, then play heed to the phrase, quote, abs are made in the kitchen because it's absolutely correct. We all, we all have a six pack of abs. However, some of us are keeping it in a cooler. Extra energy is stored as fat cells and adipose tissue, which also functions to provide insulation to muscles and organs. And for a number of people, extra fat is stored as adipose tissue in the abdominal cavity. Developing definitions of muscles, developing definition, sorry, developing definition in muscles is as much a function of eating the proper amounts of the right types of nutrients as is expending energy through exercise. And, and that's, that's so true. You, you always hear that abs are made in the kitchen, and that's absolutely accurate. If you're doing exercise, say you're doing 600 calories of exercise, that's about an average workout for about 45 to 60 minutes, depending on what you're doing in lean body mass. But say you're doing 600 calories of exercise, and then if you eat eight to 1,200 calories of not necessarily healthy food, Thinking that you exercise because I can eat what I want because I exercise, it's not going to work. We've all had to change our diets. We've all known that once we make a few changes to our diets, we see the effects we want. So keep that in mind. Yes, you can train hard. Yes, you can sleep well. Yes, you can do all sorts of other things. But proper nutrition is absolutely essential for your fitness program. Back to the reading. As you begin to develop your exercise program, Think about when you use your core strength. 
Do you use a higher amount of core strength when lying on the ground or when you're standing on the feet and moving in multiple directions? For an effective core training program that can increase caloric expenditure while enhancing strength and reducing the risk of injury, it will become necessary to start thinking of any exercise done standing on your feet as a core exercise. The right exercises for improving and enhancing core strength provide many benefits from changing aesthetic appearance to reducing low back soreness. By simply learning how to brace the multiple layers of your abdominal muscles while on your feet, you will help the muscles activate and do their job of stabilizing your body through the hips, spine, and pelvis. Knowing the best types of core exercises that can increase strength while improving dynamic balance and movement skill first requires understanding how the core muscles actually function during upright patterns. A lot of the confusion surrounding this topic stems from the fact that there is not one specific core muscle, nor is there a specific region of the core. Any muscle that attaches the legs to the pelvis or the pelvis to the spine and ribcage controls, uh, controls motion of the shoulders on top of the spine or simply runs along the spine can influence motion at your center of gravity, which in most adults is just below the belly button. All of these can be considered core muscle. Lying on the floor for core training can be effective for some exercises in the initial stages of developing strength. But whether you are in a face down or face up position, you will not be fully integrating the muscles of the hips, abdominals, and lower back to function as a single system. For example, Performing numerous crunches while lying on the back is a traditional approach to core exercises that causes excessive amounts of spinal flexion and possibly leads to the muscle imbalances that are often a source of injury. Some of the most effective strategies for strengthening core muscles require you to be in an upright standing position with your feet planted on the ground. That, that's another reason why I started with that little diatribe on research. You've, had, you've seen a lot of stuff about core training, but you have to understand that the research on this, while extensive, is still, well, well, there is still some debate on basically the best way to train, is what I'm saying. So despite all the research that's been done, but one of the studies that I really go back to again and again and again is done by two guests on the show, Drs. Brad Schoenfeld and Dr. Brett Contreras. Back in 2010, they published a phenomenal review of research, and again, this is 12 years old now, but back in 2010, they did a phenomenal review of core training research where they reviewed more than 200 studies. A research review is where scientists will go in and, and they'll look at studies that have already been conducted and look for trends in the studies. So what Brad and Brett did in, the, in their review was they looked at more than 200 studies about core training. And in their conclusion of that review, what they said, and I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but what they said in the conclusion of that review is most exercise done while standing on the feet is core training. And now they're talking, they're talking mainly in reference to barbell training, like RDLs, deadlifts, bent over rows, because when you're doing those lifts, you have to engage your core. And in the study, they also talk about working core muscles from multiple directions and multiple planes of motion. So a lot of the work that I do about core training is based on that study from Schoenfeld and Contreras from that review. The other work that I do on core training is based on Dr. Stuart McGill's work. And Stu has been a guest a few times on the podcast. And I'll probably have him back on again soon. But you can hear in those interviews, you hear why it's so important. Our core really controls our pelvis, our spine, our thoracic rib cage, our shoulders. 
Gary Gray, who's been a recent guest on the show, well, I replayed his, replayed his interview that I did a couple years ago. Gary Gray considers everything basically from your mid-thigh up to your shoulders as part of your core because they all work together synergistically when we're standing on our feet. As you approach your core training, yes, you can do one or two exercises lying on the ground, but lying on the ground activates your, sympath sorry, your parasympathetic nervous system. When you lie on the ground, that's a sedative for your body. It's a signal to go to sleep. Not the best place to do high-intensity exercise. If you're on your feet, number one, you're more active, you're more engaged. Number two, your feet provide a lot of nerve endings. The nerve endings in your feet activate the muscles that help stabilize your spine. That's another reason why it's important to do standing on your feet. Anyway, I'm going way off on the sidebar, so let me get back to reading. To fully understand how the muscles of the core are designed to function, all we need to do is observe the human gait cycle. The structures of the human body operate most effectively when standing upright while reacting to the downward forces caused by gravity and the upward forces of ground reaction created as the foot impacts the ground when walking or running. You're no doubt familiar with gravity. It's the downward pull place, the downward pull places a constant force on the body that your muscles have to work to overcome. However, you're probably not that familiar with the ground reaction forces that occur every time your foot hits the ground. As your foot impacts the solid ground, the ground does not absorb the force of your body weight and instead pushes back against your foot. Normal walking can place about 1.5 times your body weight in each leg as your foot hits the ground. When you run, ground forces are higher at top, at top sprint speeds. You could experience up to six times your body weight in each leg in ground reaction forces. Gravity pulls us down into the ground. Ground reaction forces push up against our body every time you impact. Think about the difference between walking in sand, walking in grass, walking in snow, and walking on hard concrete. Every surface provides different reaction forces. So as you train, being on your feet for core training helps your body absorb gravity and ground reaction forces so muscles know how to mitigate these and help you control your center of gravity as you move through space. The body is designed to, the body is designed to function most efficiently while using gait, either walking or running, as a primary means of locomotion. With the muscles aligned to take advantage of gravity and ground reaction forces to generate mechanical energy. Most strength training exercises that take place in a standing position with your feet on the ground are core exercises. According to a comprehensive study, and actually I just talked about this, so I jumped ahead of that. I'm going to jump ahead here just a second. Stuart McGill, PhD, is Professor Emeritus of Kinesiology at the University of Waterloo in, in Waterloo, Canada, where he ran the Spinal Mechanics Laboratory for 32 years. Dr. McGill has conducted an extensive amount of research and has published numerous academic articles and textbooks on spinal mechanics featuring evidence-based exercise programs for improving core strength. Dr. McGill defines the core as composed of the lumbar spine, the muscles of the abdominal wall, the back extensors, and quadratus lumborum. Also included are the multi-joint muscles, namely latissimus dorsi and psoas, that pass through the core, linking it to the pelvis, legs, shoulders, and arms. So you hear one definition there, from study some somebody who's been studying the human spine for 33 years. And if you listen to one of Dr. McGill's interviews, he will say he doesn't know. <laughs> Dr. Schoenfeld said, I don't know. These are people that study this stuff extensively and they don't know, but they share what they have observed in the research. 
These are the top experts. They don't know, but they share their observations. I say that because I caution you again and again and again. Any expert that tells you definitively, any quote-unquote expert who tells you definitively what to do, don't listen to them. What you want to hear, the people you want to follow, the advice you want to hear is, hey, we don't really know, but here's what we've observed. Here's what we think works. Because it could change. There could be another study published today or next week that totally blows out of the water what we've been thinking about for years. And I'm going to get back in a second, but as an example, Dr. Schoenfeld, for years, for years, Dr. Schoenfeld has been studying hypertrophy, which is how strength training grows bigger muscles. For years, the thought was that in order for us to gain muscle size, we needed to use heavier weights. But Dr. Schoenfeld's research shows that using light weights can generate muscle hypertrophy, can help you grow big muscles if they're performed to a point of fatigue. So Dr. Schoenfeld completely changed his approach to hypertrophy training based on his research and understanding new evidence that they were able to observe. What that means is what we know today might be completely different tomorrow. So yes, we can let the research kind of guide us, but we don't want to hold on to it as some sort of dogma that's written in stone because it's not. Okay, I'm going to get back here. Rather than rolling on the ground like a turtle stuck in its shell, an effective core conditioning workout should be based on strength training exercises featuring a variety of upright movements using different loads to ensure optimal strength of postural stabilizers combined with maximal force production from the muscles responsible for moving the body. For example, the hips should be able to move and produce force in all three dimensions in order to accomplish a number of ADLs or recreational sports like golf or tennis. If the muscles around the hips lose the ability to generate force in all three planes, it could increase the forces directed into the lumbar spine or knees and significantly increase the risk of injury at the joints. According to McGill's observations, quote, people rarely flex their ribcage to the pelvis, shortening the rectus abdominis in sport or everyday activities. Rather, they stiffen the abdominal wall while loading the hips or using the shoulders. When it comes to enhancing movement skill, improving dynamic balance, and increasing levels of muscular strength, the concept of core training should be expanded to include all the muscles that help the body to walk or run. Now, that's my opinion. That's not based, that's based on evidence, but that's my opinion based on evidence. And Dr. McGill, if you've, if you've had a personal trainer or if you've been carrying kettlebells back and forth at a gym or been pushing or pulling a sled, you can thank Dr. McGill for that. Because a little bit more than a decade ago, Dr. McGill and his lab studied strongman training. And what they wanted to do is understand why strongman athletes have such a low risk of injury when compared to other athletes like bodybuilders and powerlifters. And what they found was that doing these carries, doing pushes like with a sled, doing pulls, whether you're pulling a sled or a truck, strongman training is the best core training around. So a lot of the stuff that's in my book and Smarter Workouts is based on Dr. McGill's work and based on his research on strongman athletes. And hey, if it works for these athletes that can pick up a thousand pounds and makes them stronger and allows their spine and pelvis to handle these excessive loads, then applying some of these techniques might reduce your back pain. It might help you move a little bit better. So it's worth listening to. Now I'm going to get into metabolic conditioning and finish up this episode. So this is still movement intensity and practice, metabolic conditioning. Your metabolism is how your body converts the macronutrients, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins that you consume through your diet into the chemical adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, which is used to fuel muscle contractions. Your body produces ATP either with oxygen or without oxygen 
via specific metabolic pathways. Muscle cells use oxygen to help produce the energy to fuel contractions. As stated previously, you'll use approximately five calories of energy to consume one liter of oxygen. Therefore, the more oxygen you consume during and after exercise, the more calories you will burn. And that's true. It, it, no matter what you do, the more oxygen you use, the more oxygen you get pumping through your body, the more energy you're going to expend, the more calories you're going to burn. So what's going to, what's going to expend more energy? What's going to use more oxygen? Sitting at a desk or standing? What's going to expend more oxygen or use more oxygen? Walking up the stairs or standing still on an escalator? Anytime you increase oxygen consumption, you increase caloric expenditure. Rule number one from weight management. Calories explained. A calorie is a unit of energy. More accurately, a kilocalorie is the energy used to increase the heat. Is the energy more accurately, a kilocalorie is the energy used to increase the heat of one liter of water by one degree centigrade. So a calorie is the amount of energy used to heat one liter of water by one degree centigrade. I've said that three times now. Just like a gallon of gas should provide your car with enough energy to travel a certain distance, which is measured in miles per gallon. When a piece of food is estimated to have a certain amount of calories, that is how much energy it delivers to your body. According to the first law of thermodynamics, energy is neither created nor destroyed, but is merely transferred. The macronutrients of protein, carbohydrate, and fat provide 4, 4, and 9 calories per gram, respectively. If a piece of food has 10 grams of protein, 20 grams of carbohydrate, and 5 grams of fat, it should provide approximately 165 calories worth of energy. When you consume energy through macronutrients, your body will use some of it immediately for tissue repair, energy, and other vital functions. The energy that isn't used will be stored as fat for use at a later time. That's why diet is so essential because if you eat excessive calories, your body will store it as as fuel. That's why I point out to clients when we start, weight loss clients is like, look, just think of this as extra energy. All we need to do is help you expend that energy. The human body requires energy for a variety of functions, including repairing and replacing damaged tissues, digesting food, and performing physical activity. As it relates to expending energy for physical activities, your body will burn calories in two specific ways, activities of daily living, or ADLs, which includes such mundane tasks as brushing your teeth, cleaning the house, or walking to the car, and exercise, that is physical activity for the purpose of improving the body's ability to perform specific tasks or simply expending excess energy. So there are two types of physical activity. There's the stuff we do every day, the chores, ADLs, and exercise. Exercise is planned physical activity. Physical activity, whether ADLs or exercise, is an important component of managing a healthy body weight because it's how you expend excess energy. Managing consumer credit can provide an analogy to help you understand what is required for healthy weight management. When you have a credit card, it is not a good idea to spend more than you earn because you'll end up in debt. On the other hand, if you make smart decisions with your income, spend only what you need for expenses, limit impulse purchases, yeah, I need to work on that, uh, limit impulse purchases to only what you can afford, pay off your credit cards every month, and place any extra income in a savings account, you will end up with a surplus of money. Replace money with calories. If you consume more calories in a day than you expend through various types of physical activity, you will end up with a surplus of calories in savings. While it's a good idea to place extra money in a savings account, we generally want to avoid accumulating a surplus of unused energy in the body 
because it is stored as fat. Increasing physical activity through both ADLs and exercise can help you spend as many, if not more, calories than you consume. While deficit spending can lead to credit card debt, which is something you want to avoid, when it comes to exercise, this is how we eliminate surplus energy and is what you should be working towards. This is the one time in your life when you're allowed to spend more than you earn. Spending more money through physical activity, sorry, spending more energy through physical activity than you consume through caloric intake is the key component of weight loss. So think about your credit card. You don't want to go into debt with your credit card, but think about that extra weight you have around your body, that extra fat, that extra energy you have stored around your body. That you want to go into debt. That's why it's important to control caloric intake, not only with the amount of of nutrients, not only with the amount of calories, but with the quality of nutrients. Because the quality of nutrients makes a huge difference in your endocrine system and the hormones that are produced as a result of the nutrition that you eat. Hey, there's a lot to exercise. That's why the title of the book is The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I want you to be able to understand this stuff so you can apply it. Over the course of the normal biological aging process, adults who are sedentary for extended periods of time and do not participate in any types of physical activity could accumulate excess amounts of energy stored as fat as well as experience the loss of balance, mobility, and muscle mass. A decline in muscle mass reduces your body's resting metabolism the ability to burn calories without actually doing any activity, and could result in a loss of strength, reducing your ability to perform essential ADLs. An age-related loss of muscle strength is a predictor of diminished physical function, balance impairments, and overall frailty, resulting in an increased risk of falls or other incapacitating injuries. It's true that a relatively sedentary lifestyle can result in a loss of functional capacity that severely impacts the overall quality of life. However, Long-term participation in a strength training program can reduce the loss of age-related muscle mass, maintain or increase muscle force production, and enhance the ability to successfully perform most ADLs, allowing you to remain functionally independent well into the later years of life. In addition, even if you get a late start, consistently following an exercise program to enhance mobility, strength, and metabolic efficiency can help you maintain a high level of physical performance and good health well into old age. All right, now we're about to wrap up this episode here. We're going to finish up with understanding the calorie. For years, we've been told that we need to pay attention to calories, both in how many we consume and how many we expend through physical activity. What is a calorie and why does it matter how many we consume or burn when we exercise? Weight gain happens when you have a surplus of calories because you consume more calories than you expend. Think about that a moment. If you're eating a couple thousand calories a day, but doing just a minimal amount of physical activity, you are taking in excess energy that will be stored as fat and adipose tissue. Having excess body fat means you're carrying around extra energy, which is like driving around with extra tanks of gas in your car. It's just not necessary. And if you have too much, it becomes potentially dangerous. Carrying too much gas in your car increases the risk of a fire. Carrying too much energy on your body in the form of fat can lead to a number of negative health outcomes. A pound of fat provides approximately 3,500 calories of energy. The human body expends about 5 calories of energy to consume 1 liter of oxygen. During exercise, muscles use oxygen, so if you're carrying extra fat on your body, doing movement-based workouts that use numerous muscles at the same time will help you turn that stored energy into kinetic energy, and that's how we can get to managing a healthy body weight. 
that's it for this section of all of all about fitness. Um, I've been reading Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. This was from Chapter 2, Movement and Intensity in Practice. The next episode is going to pick up with the role of the heart. Now, if you're liking this and you want to follow along, there is a link down below in the show notes. You can pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts. There's a lot of information in there. I think I have 21 different workouts that you can follow. Obviously, I can't explain the workouts on the podcast, but if you pick up the book and you follow along and you go back, you're going to finish. When I get done with this whole series, you're going to have the same information as most personal trainers, at least the foundational level of information. So if you're a fitness junkie, if you love working out or if you're new to exercise and you're trying to figure out what to do, keep coming back because I'm, I'm going to keep reading from Smarter Workouts because I want you to understand how to design an exercise program that can help you enhance your quality of life. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can also find me on Instagram. That's All About Fitness Podcast on Instagram. All About Fitness Podcast on Instagram. And hey, keep checking Instagram and keep coming back because I'm already starting to do more interviews, guys. I'm doing smarter workouts right now. I'm reading it. I'm helping promote the book a little bit. But I'm also getting ready to start publishing some interviews. I got some great interviews I can't wait to release. So keep checking back. Hey, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.